we are now in the midst of a new sermon series. Summer's wrapping up. Uh, we're really looking to the start of a lot of things in our lives, school, uh, you know, just getting back to, to the action as parents and families. And so we've launched into a sermon series, and the series is on the vision of KPC that the Lord has given us, the mission that God has called us to, and then just some things that we're calling core values, things that really ought to be true of us if we're going to live out the Great Commission in the spirit of the greatest commandment. So what we're trying to do is we're really seeking to align ourselves with God's heart for us, God's direction. God's purpose. We don't want to just be a group of people that get together and go through religious exercises. We want to be about the Lord's business. Because y'all know that's what He's going to bless, right? If you've ever been in, in a situation where they were kind of doing the other, you kind of wonder where the blessing is. We don't ever want to wonder that as a church. So we're seeking that. And, and right now, we are just beginning to crack open the mission statement for you. And just so you know, a, a mission statement is really the essence of who you are, okay? So this, this is what we're looking at today. Part one of three parts of the mission statement, but it is the essence of who we are and what we are here to do, okay? This is important. So y'all ready? Okay, you are, you're ready. I, okay, I'm preaching to you today then. Okay, so um, here we go. Our mission statement opens with this phrase, KPC's purpose is to deeply experience the love and the presence of God. Amen. Our purpose is to deeply experience the love and the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why I love that so much. Because Scripture presents to us a God who is real, a God who is alive, a God who is with His people. He is here when we gather. Our God is living. Our God is presence, and, I, and so I love, I love our, our, uh, the first part of this mission statement. Our God can be heard by His people. He can be felt by His children. Our God enters into people's lives, and He makes them new. Anybody ever experienced that? Today, you are not who you used to be, and you never could have gotten yourself here. Never. This is what our God does. We experience Him. We receive Him. And, and, and folks, we come to life in, in the truest sense of the word. This is what it means to experience the living God. And some of y'all, I really want you to hear it because you might, might be like me as a child. For a while, I grew up in a church where I was told the experience of God probably wasn't real, but it was something to definitely be avoided. I was taught, you know what, that's extremism. That, that's charismania, you know, that, that's just emotionalism. You don't want to get all caught up in that. But see, here's the problem with that, with that kind of statement. And, I, and granted, there are extremes. It goes against the Word of God. I mean, look at the Old Testament. Moses, David, Joseph, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Every one of these people in the Old Testament, before Jesus showed up, before the Holy Spirit fell, they met God. And they were forever changed. Look at the people in the gospel record, okay? Here comes Jesus, the Son of God now. Look at the disciples. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I try not to be disrespectful of the disciples, but I'm telling you, before Jesus, these guys were like the Marx brothers, you know? The three stooges. 
well-meaning guys, but knuckleheads, every one of them, they were. And look at the other people in gospel times, lost, broken, riddled with sin, so messed up, but they meet God the Son, Jesus Christ. They come to life in the truest sense of the word. And, and then look at people in, later on in the New Testament, Paul. Oh my gosh, we've told Paul's story. Pa- Paul was a murderer before Jesus Christ. Timothy, I don't know who Timothy was. I think that's the point. Who was Timothy before? Before he runs into God, the Holy Spirit. But all these two guys, Lydia, this brand new church, all of these people run into God, the Holy Spirit. And every one of them are forever changed. And see, the really, really good news for us in the 21st century, living in America or anywhere else on the globe, is nothing has changed when it comes to God. Nothing has changed We are to experience the love of God and come to life. It was true yesterday. Folks, it's so true today. So, Steve, what's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is this. Experiencing God is a really, really big deal in the Christian life. It is essential to the Christian life. And whether for you it is a moment of blazing glory like Moses in the burning bush or Elijah on top of the mountain is just mind-blowing in your encounter of God, or whether you just meet him in that still, sweet, quiet moment, and he enters your heart, and you move on through that deep burn of discipleship that is just living for you. We are meant to experience God personally. We today, in our culture, we are meant to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're meant to be radically changed by Jesus Christ, and then let that change just shine to the world. Amen? Amen. That's how it's supposed to be. But have you ever experienced the opposite of that? Now, I'm not talking about those times that God leads you out into the wilderness like he did Jesus. He led him out for for a reason. He led him out for a season. And through stillness and silence, and even God withdrawing a little bit in some ways, God matures you and gets you ready for something bigger. I'm not talking about that. When God gets quiet to make us into something more, I'm talking about when spiritual life goes absolutely flat for you. Has anybody ever been there? More than once, all right? I'm talking about that. I'm talking about when you pray, you read the Bible, You worship God. You participate in the life of the church, but instead of experiencing God and coming to life, you you just feel like you're on life support. You just feel like you're going through motions. You feel like a stranger. You feel totally disconnected from God. You, You feel like your heart is just drifting away. You know, you're like the psalmist, oh, when, when can I meet with God? Come on. You feel like God and life in God is more of a fantasy and a fairy tale than a reality. Some of you have been there. Many of you have been there. Well, here's my question. Wouldn't it be great if we could figure out what in the world is going on in those times? Wouldn't it be great if there was an answer for this, if we found out why we fall out of contact with God? It'd be really good. So today, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to share with you a primary reason why we lose touch with God. I'm talking the nine out of 10 times you feel flat, this is exactly what it is. So we're gonna let Neil Ellison come up. He's gonna read to us a passage of scripture 
And then I'm going to point out what this thing is, what we can do about it, and why we must do something about it. So, Neil, hit us with it, brother. From Psalm 51, a psalm of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right or a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This you do not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build upon the walls of Ju Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Neil. Let's pray. Father God, right now, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for a brilliant prayer. Lord, the, the prayer of a man's heart that restored his experience with you that brought him back into your presence, that turned things that were upside down right again. Father, we pray that as we hear and we dig through this today, that in Jesus' name, God, you'll do something great. You will bring us right back where we need to be if any of us feel like we have wandered or have waited our whole lives for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 51 is quite a prayer, okay? This is a biggie. Now, this is King David praying, and this is David praying after, very soon after, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband Uriah murdered, okay? You wonder why Psalm 51 is so raw, okay? It is so wholehearted, it's so desperate, this is why. Because in Psalm 51, David is feeling it. He is feeling the guilt of his sin. He is feeling the shame of it. He's feeling the toxin. And when I say toxin, I mean the deadliness, the destruction, the devastation. And the other thing David is feeling here is distance. He feels right now like he is a million miles away from God. His experience of God 
is not what it used to be. And so, so that's why David is so desperate right here. I mean, his heart is, oh God, I don't sense you. Oh God, I, I, I don't feel you. Lord, I, I participate in worship, I serve you. And it's just, it's just empty motions. Oh God, have you, have you cast me from your presence? Have you, have you taken your Holy Spirit away from me? Is that what's wrong with me? Is that what's happened here? Oh God, no. Please know, God, anything but that. And so what David is doing in Psalm 51 is he is crying out for God to come back. Oh, God, show up. Oh, God, return. Wherever you have wandered, God, make your way back to me. But what we have to understand, it comes out pretty clearly in the psalm, but what we have to make sure we understand is that David is not crying out for God's justice, all right? It's really important here. Now, here's why David is not crying out for justice, because David is guilty of tremendous sin, okay? Bathsheba, Uriah, oh my gosh, if he gets God's justice for that, he's not crying out for justice. But something else happens as David prays out Psalm 51, is these, and this is a beautiful thing, these big sins in his life, they open up his eyes to another truth. And it's a truth that's always been a part of him. David, as he, as he reflects on these two, he, he realizes, oh my gosh, Lord, sin is not just something I did last week, those two big gigantic ones. God, I've been a sinner from the day I was born. Lord, sin, sin is in my DNA. It has haunted me every day of my life. It's not just that I sinned, I really am a sinner. It is a malignant cancer in my life. And see, that is why David is not crying out for justice, because if God shows up as a judge, he's doomed. He's tried. He, I mean, he's condemned. D David will be executed by God. And so his prayer, his cry is very, very different. This, this desperate plea, it takes a completely different, different target for him. And, and instead, he prays, God, you, you, are, you are the father of compassion. God, with, with you, there is unfailing love. So, Lord, what I need, what I cry out for right now, I cry out for mercy. Not justice. God, give me mercy. And not just mercy for those two big ones I did. Lord, give me mercy for all of it. I need relief. I need restoration for every sin in my life. So, God, come. Come and cleanse my heart. God, come wipe away every sin. And while you're cleansing this heart, God, go ahead and do heart surgery. Give me a new heart. And don't just stop with the heart. Go ahead and give me a new spirit, a spirit that's willing to follow you, a spirit that, that, that wants to, to do everything that you've called me to do. God, I need this. And I'll tell you what else I need in this new heart and this new spirit, Lord, is I need the joy of your salvation. God, fill me up with the joy of your salvation that just fuels the spirit that wants to live for you. And see, it hits David in this moment that this is what true worship is. It comes right out of Psalm 51. This is actually worship. You know, so often we think that worship, that the, the, the steps that we go through, they're the things that we present in a worship service, and that is a part of worship. But you know you can do all that you can sing to your blue in the face. You can give every penny you have. It cannot be worship. But David realizes this is true worship. Man, when my heart is pure, when my heart is full, man, when I am loving God and receiving the love of God, this is true worship. 
So, so what he's understanding here is he cannot in this moment, he can't walk into a church or, well, it would have been a synagogue back then. He can't walk into a synagogue, flip a religious switch, do a few robotic religious exercises, and perform a few rituals. That will never erase what's wrong in David's life. That will not make him new. Only God can do it in this moment for David. And so what he's crying out for, y'all, is he's crying out for forgiveness. God, forgive me. Make me new. God, Bring me back. Bring me back. And see, even before there was a fruit of the Spirit, what David is doing is he is looking at the limbs of his life. You know, I'm like a tree, I'm like a tree, I'm like an olive tree. Psalm 1, we grow up to become trees. All that tree metaphor, that language in Scripture. You know, we, we, we are God's trees, His oaks of righteousness. David is looking at himself and he's going, God, my branches are completely empty. There's no way I can get with what the Bible calls in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God, I'm looking at the limbs of my life, and unless you come and you bring this fruit, I'm a dried-up tree for the rest of my life. Again, bottom line, only God can restore David's living spiritual experience. His whole future, spiritually speaking, depends on God giving him mercy. So here's the question for David. Will God do it? I mean, is God going to forgive what David did? You know, some of us in the room today, even we struggle with self-worth. You know, well, I'm not worthy of God's love. God can't overcome what I did in my life. Okay, well, I don't think whatever you did in your life can top David. So here, here it is. If God will grant David mercy and forgiveness, oh my gosh, God's love for you. God's forgiveness for you, it's held out today. So will God do it? Will God have mercy on David? The answer is what? Yes, right? Why? Well, because David's story continues after this period of time in Scripture. David comes to life. David comes to life. David falls back in love with God. We even know here in Psalm 51, even prophetically, David speaks about what's going to happen to him. He, he says, Lord, you never reject a broken and a repentant heart, oh God. You, you never do it. So God will and God does have mercy on this man, and he brings it back. He makes it real. You know, I mean, boy, he, he turns it on again, and David comes to life. But I'll tell you this, in his prayer, David is so right about what ails us. Nine times out of ten, when our experience of God, y'all, when it sours like milk, we can trace it back just like David can to something like this. We can trace it back in our lives if we're real. And I think we, I, I want to make the argument today, we ought to be real in church, you know. We can trace it back to sin in our lives. You know, David says here, I have sinned against you, O God. We can trace it back to that. There are times when we have sinned against God. Sometimes, you know, it, it just kind of happens. Most of the time it's willful. We know it. We do it. We can trace it back to sin, sin against God. We can also trace it back to sin against other people. And just so we're really clear when we say sin against other people, there are things that we do, right? Physical actions, words that we speak. But there's also that whole other sin life 
that nobody has to know about but us and God the Father, and it's all those attitudes, right? It's all that stuff inside that we feel towards people. We can trace it back here. Folks, in that moment, we had the same need David did. It is to go desperately to God, the God who forgives, the God who grants mercy, and seek it. When the lights come on, like they came on for David, I am a sinner. The only place for us to go is to the Father for relief, for life, and for an experience with the living God. It's it. And so it's a beautiful prayer. You know, I think one of the greatest tragedies in the Christian life, and I don't mean of other people, I mean of Steve Keller's life, but, but others of you are, are uh, you know, you're guilty as well, um, meaning all of you. Um, one, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is that we so quickly move away from forgiveness. You know, in the, in the pursuit of Christian maturity, what we do is we leave the cross of Jesus Christ and forgiveness behind. And, and what we do, and, and I don't know that we mean to do it, but is we realize, you know, the first thing I, that, that I encountered when I came into the door, or when Jesus came into the door of my life, it was all about forgiveness back then. Well, you know what? That's elementary. You know, that's step one. That's A, B, C of the Bible. It's forgiveness. But you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm growing up in Christ, and it's time to graduate from the school of Christianity and just head on into the, the richness and the fullness of life with God, but that is a very, very wrong, wrong mindset to have, and God's corrected me on this a lot of times in my life. We never graduate from the school of forgiveness. The cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus every day in our lives is just something we need. You know, if, if forgiveness is water, we need to swim in the waters of forgiveness every day after we meet Jesus Christ. And so here's how we correct this thing that happens to us, and not just them, okay? Like David, we acknowledge, we acknowledge that we are always in need of mercy from God. We always stay in that place of forgiveness. And I know there are some Christians, maybe even in the room today, who would say, well, Steve, you know, this is elementary. And, and I, I am always in the place of forgiveness, you know. I, I am just a person who, who you know, I, I exercise forgiveness every day in my life between me and the Lord. But so often, you know what happens? The evidence of our lives does not prove that statement. It doesn't. Because we can be very quick, very awesome at seeking God's forgiveness. But so often as believers, we are not very good about giving that forgiveness to other people. We're not good about taking the same mercy we received and extending it to people in our lives. And see, what, what we do is, as believers is so often we just forget. We forget something that, that's more than a verse. It's a spiritual law. It's Galatians 6, 7, and it's found in other places in Scripture, but it is a spiritual law that says this. It says, do not be deceived. And this, by the way, is to the church, okay? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Or according to uh, uh, the NLT, we, all, we always harvest what we plant. We always harvest what we plant. And so in other words, if we want mercy from God, forgiveness from God, kindness and favor from God, you know what we must extend 
to people, not just who annoy us, but people who sin against us, we've got to extend mercy, forgiveness, grace, love, kindness, and favor. And see, what happens so often for us is when it comes to people in our lives that, and and people do some rough stuff, but they do their rough stuff against us. So often what we want from God is we want God's justice for what they've done. For those who sin against us, we want God's justice to be levied against them. For, For people who have sinned against us, we want them to get from God what their sins deserve, forgetting about sowing and reaping. Because literally it means if I demand justice for my brother who sinned against me, God, I am begging for your justice in my life for the things I do. Lord, if, if, if I want that girl, that woman to get what her sins deserve, Lord, I'm asking you to give me what my sins deserve. Lord, if I refuse to forgive them, what I'm doing is I am, I am refusing the forgiveness of God. We reap what we sow in the area of unforgiveness. And so there's another verse that's very applicable here. You know what we ought to do when it comes to justice and vengeance? Leave it to God, right? Doesn't God tell us that in the word? Just vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let God have it. Let God dispense it. Let God deal it out. See, for us, the body of Christ, there is such a better way. It's a beautiful way, a way of peace and life. Colossians 3.13 talks about it. Bear with each other, okay? Now, don't mistranslate that. That doesn't mean you get to be a grizzly to somebody, right? It doesn't mean attack. Bear, terrible joke, I know. Bear with each other, and more specifically, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy from God. We are called by God to love like Jesus loved us, to to move toward people like he moved toward us, to forgive like he forgave us. And see, when we do that, this word experience, when, when we live in that place as a forgiving people, you never lack for God's experience. You don't wonder where he is. The presence of God is not a mystery in your life. When we are clean like this, we know him. When we're clean like this, we feel him. We hear his voice. We experience everything he has for us. You want another reason why we really need to be a people of forgiveness? I'm going to give you another reason, okay? Here's a reason why we need to be all about forgiveness as the people of God. Okay, it's, it's actually based on historical precedent. There is a spiritual principle that has been proven by human history, throughout human history. And you can study this thing. And I, we actually did this in our last church. We had a professor come from Gordon-Conwell with some of his cronies and some other friends. And they preached an 18-week series on this one thing on Sunday nights. And every time this phenomenon occurred, forgiveness was a part of it. So here it is. Simple dynamic. It is that forgiveness always precedes revival. Repentance always precedes revival. You can go to Azusa Street. You can go to Acts chapter 2. You can go to the Scripture, by the way, that's going to, it's covered right now, but it's going to be on the back wall here pretty soon. 
Our favorite scripture as a church, if my people who are called by my name will, what, humble themselves, repent, then what will I do, says God? Oh, I'll come in. I'll forgive, I'll heal, I'll bless their land. It is the promise of revival. Repentance on God's people always precedes revival. In every revival that ever hit the church and ever hit the world, God's people became aware of sin in in their midst. They repented and boom, God moved. God moved, God moved in power. And when I say repent, here's what I mean by repent. They didn't just ask God to forgive them because that's, that's part of forgiveness. You know, it's kind of like the part one of part two, but there's a second part to forgiveness. We ask God's forgiveness and, and, and okay, part one, we ask God forgiveness and we, we try to extend it to other people, but then those that we cursed, we honor now. Those that we kept at arm's distance, we love them in the name of Jesus Christ. So the church repented like this. And just so you know, I'm not talking theory for somebody else. I'm talking a reality for us. In my life right now, the Lord has taken me through this sermon before I got to preach it to you. So I, I'm going to go ahead and confess something to you. I think I can do that because I get to disappear next week. But here, here's my confession. For about the past year and a half to two years of my life, I have really found myself struggling in the area of leading in the church. Now, you might not see it, but I know how much energy it used to take to do the things I'm, I'm doing. It's taken so much longer. Sermon lengths are doubled. I mean, it's just, it's like there's a loss of anointing in my life. It's like the fuel tank is a little bit low. So, something's not quite right. And so I was like, you know what? God is a leader. I'm really struggling. I don't know what's going on. I, I feel like David in Psalm 51, and that's why I'm preaching it today, because that's where I went. And I said, okay, Lord, you know what? Let's take a look at Steve. God, I'm getting desperate here. Because you know what? Not, not only is my tank low, but I'm 48, and so my physical energy is beginning to drop. And I know you can tell it right now by the way I preach, but I'm like, Lord, you know, these batteries will run out. Help me. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? My experience of you is it, it's just hurting right now. You know what God's answer back to me was? And this, this, was, this is wild. Never expected this. God answered that prayer. And what he did was several nights I went to sleep, several times I was praying and seeking his face, and it was like God slowly unrolled a list of people's names. And there were, there were a list of people that I have served under in ministry in the past. So a, a lot of the names on there are pastors along the way, you know, a few people before ministry, but there's all these names. And I'm like, Lord, I mean, I haven't thought about most of these people in, you know, 10 to 20 years of my life. So what's the list of names about? And the Holy Spirit just spoke very gently to me because God doesn't pull out a list to beat you up. You know, God never shows up to go, and here's how bad you are. Now let me put on the smite boots and I'm just going to stomp you out. God doesn't do that. He tells us for a reason. Steve, the reason is that you say to people, you can't lead unless you know how to follow. And sometimes in your life when you have followed, you've dishonored people that you've served with. You have sown, you know, when it comes to leadership, you've sown some dishonor toward those that that, that led you. You know, some of them failed. Some of them made mistakes. Some of them, you know, not all of them were the most amazing pastors on earth, but Steve, you really sowed some dishonor and some offense toward these guys. You know, you listen to bad reports about them. You spread a few bad reports yourself. So you're reaping some of, of, of what you've sown. And in that moment, I knew exactly what I had to do. Lord, forgive me. 
And so I just repented, and, and I just said, God, would you forgive me? And I just named him out. Lord, forgive me for being mean to Pastor Neil. No, it wasn't Pastor Neil. Pastor Neil's awesome. But I just went through the list of names, and, and I repented. I asked God's forgiveness, and I just started blessing them every day in prayer. Lord, I thank you for that guy in my life. I thank you for what he sowed into me. I thank you for how he blessed me. Lord, even if it was hard with them, I thank you that I was there in that hard time because you used that hard time to turn me into something else, like what Mark said, you know? I just turned it into thanks. I began to bless and folks, I got to tell you, I am coming back to life. I mean, even in worship today, I was about to go crazy up front. My spirit was just so excited. Ron, be careful. Ghana's coming, man. I'm jacked up. But I, I just want you to know that when we talk about these principles of forgiveness and repentance, it is not me telling you what you need to do. I want you to know this applies to the whole body of Christ. Whether you wear the label of parent or pastor, whether you're a child or an adult, repentance and forgiveness, man, it's our song. These are the waters we swim in. I brought up revival a minute ago, so let me ask you a question. Does anybody here believe that, our, that the world needs revival right now? Does the church of Jesus Christ need revival? Does America need revival? Does the world need revival? Well, let me tell you something I believe according to Scripture. Okay, now this might sound crazy, but I know that me and Joe Palusak believe this because Joe Palusak and I have talked about this a bunch. I believe when it comes to revival, you go back and read Acts chapter 2, revival is not something that ought to happen every now and then according to the Word of God. I believe revival is a promise for God's people for every moment, every age after the Holy Spirit fell. I believe, I really do believe this. I really do believe it. I believe revival is only repentance away for the church of Jesus Christ. When we look around a church and we see things like offense and people talking over here, and folks who can't get along, repentance needs to happen. I'm not saying that's happening all throughout the church, but folks, we are people. Repentance needs to happen throughout the body of Christ all over America, and it needs to happen here at KPC because God is just waiting to make Himself known to a repentant people. He's just waiting. A community, and when I say that, I mean a community of grace where forgiveness flows like living water. I tell you, you talk, you talk about electrical wires. Those are electrical wires. You want to become a lightning rod for the Holy Spirit? Become a repentant person who walks in forgiveness. You will be a lightning rod for the Holy Spirit. You step into stuff. You, you know, it was theory until you stepped into this moment. This is just God, how, how, how God, God moves. I want, you to, I want to say one other thing that may seem a little off track, but I think it's really important to say this. There, there is also a lie in the Christian community and I've helped perpetrate it, and I'm a little bit ashamed of it. But there, there is a lie in the community of Christ when it comes to forgiveness. And the lie is this. The lie is, as a Christian, you have to forgive other people. Folks, that is a lie. Nobody has a gun to our heads. We don't have to forgive anybody. This isn't communist China with big brother. Well, I probably don't have big brother in the room. But we don't have to forgive anyone. But i tell you one thing. If we want to be a place where the Spirit of God comes in His fullness and we see the lost get found, 
We see people grow up. We, encounter, we come in one Sunday and we go out and we're like, my gosh, I am not the same person because the living God gathers with those people. If we want to be that, well, then I guess we do need to be a people of forgiveness. Our calling, I just want to say this according to our mission statement, and I believe this in the depths of my being, our calling, KPC, is to be a place where grace, mercy, and forgiveness happens all the time. Our calling is to be a people, and and I I believe this too, so if you're scared of the charismatic movement, you better be careful because I'm warning you. Our call, I believe our call as a church is to be a place where God can manifest himself intensely, dramatically, and deeply. I, I believe that. I believe KPC's calling and some of you are going to amen this one, is to be a place where the lost get found, families get put back together, and prodigal sons and daughters come back home. I really believe that. I really believe that. And I'll tell you this, the the first Sunday I walked in here, I remember the first Sunday I came in here, and we were were worshiping, and Jane, I don't even remember if you were with me. I think you were that day before you all moved. But the first place I came in, the Lord said to me, this place is a hospital. Even prophetically, before we step all the way, we recognize it, we understand, Lord, you're calling us to be a place where this happens, the lost get found, families get put back together, and prodigals come home, there, there's already a sense of that here. You guys, you, it is in your DNA to be a place where new life, I mean new life happens to people. And if you're somebody in this room today, I'll just say this, another, another side note, if you're somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus Christ, okay, you're close, but you're not there, or you were way off before I started preaching. I want you to know this. This is a safe place to say yes to Jesus Christ. This is a family. Man, we will put our arms around you and just love you right where you are at, no matter what the storyline is yesterday, or even on the way, or on the way uh, coming to this place. I believe we are called to be that kind of place. So here's how I want to end today, okay? I want to end with, this, with a verse that's been a lot to me lately, personally. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. It says, today, if you hear his voice, that's between you and the Lord, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did before. So my question to all of us today as a church is, can we, the church, the children of God, the sheep of his pasture, Beautiful KPC, can we lay all that stuff down, all that stuff we've held on to, that stuff that's been locked away? Can we let God shine that spotlight on some of those dark corners where there is pain, there is offense, there may be unforgiveness toward people that that none of us even know or, or perhaps one another? Can we do that? Can we go to God for forgiveness like David did? We so desperately need it. And can we forgive those who have sinned against us? Can we do that as we receive forgiveness from God? And then can we? Can we go on to live a life that honors them and loves them and serves them? And sometimes with people that have hurt you, sometimes, and some of you will get this, you do have to serve those people at a distance because they're dangerous. But you can still serve them. You can still pray for them. You can still bless them. You can still send the love of God their way in some way. Can we do that? Because, folks, if we can, 
then get ready to experience the fullness of God in our midst. And I'll tell you this, I've I've spent a lot of time playing church in my life. I'm tired of playing church. I'm ready to be the church, and I'm ready to experience heaven in the midst of church. And I'm going to tell you, it's time. It is time in this nation. (laughs) Woo! Hey, Brian, can I get a witness? Amen. All right. Okay. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to end with ministry time today. And what we're going to do is we're going to end with with a song. And Brian may have to extend the song. I don't know. We're going to end with a song. Here's what I want to ask you to consider doing today. The front is open. If you need to do business with the Lord when it comes to forgiveness, if you've just become aware, the Holy Spirit's going, oh, look at this one, look at that. If that's you today, come up front. Come up front because the cross is close by and I can't wheel the cross out to you. Come up front, lay that down today in Jesus' name. Ask God to forgive you as you forgive them. Just lay it down. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to even speak just a benediction over you afterward, but I, I just come up front, enjoy this space, and let's just let the Spirit of God do what He did with David. Give Him a clean heart. Renew a new spirit. Fill Him with the joy of His salvation. Let's walk out of here clean today. Clean and full in Jesus' name. Deal? Deal. Okay, good. All right. Brian, will you lead us? You want me to say a little prayer before you start? Let me do that. Father, in Jesus' name, let me just say this, Lord. Just pray this. We go back to what David started with in Psalm 51. You are the God. You are the Father of mercy and compassion. So according to your great love and at the call of your great love, Father, we just come forward now in Jesus' name. We just come into this space And we say, Lord, here it is. Here it is. I'll carry this no longer in Jesus' name. And Father, we don't just do it for our relief. We do it for the sake of the kingdom of God. We do it for the glory and the presence of God in our midst. We do it, Lord God, so we can be just like those trees in Psalm 1. Oh, just growing by living streams of water whose leaves do not fail and whose branches bear fruit in season. We want to be the church of the living God. Only you can do that. So, Father, we come now just to meet with you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in advance. One of the things that Jesus did so often when he ministered was he would just declare cleansing and healing and forgiveness. Just think of the woman caught in adultery and to whom Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I think of the disciples who had this experience quite often with Jesus. At the end, in John 20, it says he, he breathed on them. And he, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you go out and you forgive anyone's sins out there, they are forgiven. So I just want to declare today, wherever repentance has happened in the room, whether it's a wife forgiving a husband or um, maybe one church member forgiving another or us forgiving someone that, that we'd forgotten about until right now. Where repentance has happened, I just want to say today that you are clean in Jesus' name. When we repent before the Father and we ask His forgiveness, we are clean. And no one can call us unholy ever again. And so just receive from God now just His pardon, His cleansing, His guarantee, His assurance. And I just encourage every one of us to just, by faith, receive again 
the Holy Spirit. Just take that deep breath in as the Spirit of God blows on us. And just begin to enjoy your God. One of the great things we say in the Presbyterian Church is that man's, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we spend a lot of time glorifying God as a church, but not enough time enjoying Him. And so today we just release you, your benediction, we release you into the joy and the enjoyment of the living God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. We love you.